sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day, glorious day, glorious day, oh glorious day. Be seated. That get you excited? Amen. Amen. Jesus is risen. Oh no 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 no! I don't think you believe it. Jesus Christ is risen. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I have to tell you, Easter is my favorite holiday, and it is certainly my favorite Sunday of the entire year. I know as Christians we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ year-round, but it's on Easter that we come to celebrate that day when our lives were guaranteed. Even as a kid, Easter was always my favorite holiday. I know a lot of people love Christmas, and at Christmas you get presents, and I'm not saying I don't like presents. Who doesn't like presents? I love presents. But, I mean, Easter morning in my house... Uh, You woke up and you walked out the door and there before your eyes was your own huge basket of candy, right? Candy for you, okay? I mean, it it was, you know, presents are one thing. I mean, you get socks or you get a bicycle. We're talking candy. And, you, you know, and I, every Easter I would just go out and, and, you know, as my teeth will testify, I love candy. It's my favorite thing. And still to this day I love candy. The, the saddest day for me is when they start taking those jelly beans off the shelves after Easter. And, uh, but I would just, I loved Easter. And then as I got older and I began to study and began to uh, understand more about the purpose and meaning of Easter, it, it really even became more important to me. It became something that was even deeper in my spirit, because you see, as I studied the Word of God, as I began to understand just what Easter meant, I began to realize that everything that I believe as a Christian, everything that I stand for, everything that I've ever understood this book to be, all hinges on what took place on that early Sunday morning almost 2,000 years ago. Because, you see, there's all kinds of belief systems. There's all kinds of religions out there. There's religions that believe in a prophet, religions that believe in good teaching, belief systems that believe in values, belief systems that put all of their hope in uh, a certain person or a certain uh, teacher. They embrace all kinds of things. But for Christians, for you and I, what we stand on, what we declare, what we are assured of, is not based on just teachings, not based on even a person, even that person, the person of Jesus Christ. It's not based on just some kind of philosophy or just some kind of system. Everything we believe hinges on that empty tomb. And so many times we get into the cross and we get into the Passion Week and we forget to talk about and think about and celebrate that tomb. But you see, it was that empty tomb. It was that declaration that Jesus Christ is alive, that He is risen, that for us verifies everything. Because you see, when Jesus came out of that tomb, when Jesus arose, it validated everything that He had ever said about Himself. It validated everything that was ever prophesied about Him. 
We know now that Jesus was the Son of God. We know that He is the Messiah. We know that He can do what He said He was going to do in the Bible. Why? Because the tomb is empty. We know that His sacrifice on the cross for us, taking our sins, was sufficient. It was enough. We know we celebrate that death has been defeated. That one event... That one moment that Easter has come to represent because the tomb is empty, we have victory. Now all of us in here know the Easter story. You've probably heard it since the time you were a child. Jesus is buried in a tomb. It's a day of peace and silence as they celebrate Passover. Early on that Sunday morning before the sun came up, several women followers went to the tomb of Jesus with the anticipation of preparing him for burial, continuing what had already been started on Friday, but getting him ready with spices and embalming stuff. And as they walked up to that tomb that they had known was Jesus was buried, they noticed the stone that had been placed there was missing. See, the Pharisees had a stone placed there. They thought the disciples might try to steal Jesus' body. And as they walked up that hill and they saw the stone was missing, they ran up ahead and as they went into that tomb, it was completely empty. The bedclothes that had been laid across Jesus were stacked. And as they ran out, Luke's version and Mark's version tells us that Jesus met them at the entrance. And they recognized him. They ran and told the disciples, and then Jesus appeared to the disciples. And Acts tells us that in in the next couple of weeks, he appeared to over 500 people. Not as a ghost, not as a spirit, but as a walking, talking, eating, sleeping person. They saw the holes. They touched the side. They recognized that Jesus was alive. Now that's the heart of the gospel in the story of Easter. But this morning, I want to talk about two people that get lost in the shuffle. We've been doing this series called Found Faithful. Each week, we've been examining for, for 15 weeks now characters in the Bible, Old Testament and New. And we've been looking at their faith and how their faith can teach us lessons, how their faith can, can give us life lessons that we can apply to our everyday lives. And this morning is no different. We're going to talk about two very unexpected heroes. Two heroes that set the stage for the story I just read you that came out of nowhere. And so I'm going to talk about some faithful life lessons this morning. But more importantly, I'm also going to address certain people. See, I believe there's probably some of you here this morning that this whole Christian thing, this whole Jesus thing, you still have questions. You're at church because it's Easter and your parents said you need to come or your kids said come with the our grandchildren, or, or it's just a place that you've always gone on Easter. Maybe you're here every week, but you still have some questions. Is this stuff real? I see God moving in people's lives. I, I, I see things happening, but I just don't really know. I, I don't really understand. I don't really grasp all of its teachings. I want to tell you that's okay, because that's the exact same thing that our two heroes felt. The exact same questions they had. The exact same understandings that they were trying to grab a hold of. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of John. We're going to read John's 
uh, version of what takes place after Jesus is crucified. John chapter 19. It's on your blue sheet, I think. If you have a blue sheet, you can follow along. John chapter 19. We're going to start there at the very end of chapter 19, verse 38. Jesus has died on the cross. They've pierced his side. It says later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes of about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them, they took it off the cross. It doesn't go into detail, but they took it down. And with them, they took the two of them and wrapped it in spices and strips of linen. For this was in accordance with Jewish burial custom. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb. And uh, Luke's version tells us it was the Arimathean tomb, Joseph's tomb, his family. Right there close. And so Joseph sacrificed his tomb. They took him to that tomb because it was the Jewish day of Passover, preparation day. And since the tomb was nearby, that is the tomb they laid him in. Now, I want you to understand, if you were here with us last week, we understood that the cross and death on the cross was the most humiliating death that any person could go through. It was punishment. It was a warning to everyone else. When they would crucify criminals and convicts, and those were the only ones deemed worthy of that death. Everyone else, it was too embarrassing. It was too excruciating. But those people that were deemed worthy of death on the cross were not considered people. And part of the punishment for being killed on the cross was you were not allowed to come and take your family members off the cross. Matter of fact, many people would hang on the cross for days and weeks as a warning to everyone who came close by. They would hang there uh, till their bodies were withered to nothing and then finally after a couple of days or finally after a week, a crew would come by with a cart and they would take whatever was left of those bodies and throw it in a cart and they would take it outside Jerusalem into the valley of Gehenna. And Gehenna is where the trash dump was. They kept fires burning day and night to burn the trash and the refuse of the big city and they would take the bodies and in sort of a mass burial mass uh, execution or, or or mass body dumping they would take it and they would get all those bodies and throw them in the fire you see what they were trying to say is is they couldn't even let the, the families mourn the dead it was as if they never existed and we believe that probably was the place that where Jesus was headed. You know, Gehenna, later on, you may recognize that name. It was used in the New Testament as a description of hell. It's translated into hell several places. Because that's what that place was. Fire and suffering and pain. The stench. You see, most people, most of the disciples... Most of the people that were there when Jesus was crucified had no idea that he was going to rise from the grave. They weren't looking for the resurrection. When you look back on the story, it's easy for us to cast doubt or guilt towards them for not knowing. But on that Sunday morning, no one was standing outside that rock, counting down, waiting for Jesus to appear. No one expected it. Matter of fact, the moment Jesus died, the apostles and the disciples, they scattered. They ran. Many feared for their lives. We know that Peter left town to go back fishing. Don't see James and John. You know, Jesus told John that he was to take care of his mother. Many people believed that they were already headed out of town. 
Some of the apostles gathered on places outside of town in Bethany and, and they got together and they were praying and they were scared. What could we do? No one was expecting it. Matter of fact, the only ones who really had a thought to it were the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees remembered that Jesus had said he would rise again after three days. Now, they didn't believe it, but they figured that the disciples were going to come and steal his body. That's why they had the big tomb rolled in place. That's why they had the, the tomb put the way that it was. No one was expecting it. But here we see these two guys, these two unknown guys, show up afterwards, go to Pilate, which you have to understand was a dangerous place to be. Pilate had just had this man crucified, just had this man crucified for, for insurrection. And here these two men come, willing to identify themselves as friends of his so that they might take his body. It's very crazy. Mark's version tells us that when they came to Pilate, Pilate was surprised that Jesus was dead already. So much so that in Mark's version, he has the centurion come and report. The centurion comes before Pilate, and there's Joseph and Nicodemus, and he says, yes, he's dead. We pierced his side. And so they got a, a sure death sentence that Jesus Christ was declared dead. There was no question his body had ceased to exist. But yet, these two men show up. Who are they? Why are they there now? Why are they there when no one else would show up? What do we know about these two guys? Well, all the translations tell us that they were Pharisees. You remember those guys, the Pharisees, the bad guys in the New Testament. They're the ones that Jesus was always teaching against. They're the ones that he was always coming up against. They were the religious leaders. They were the ones who stuck by the law. They were the ones who had memorized most of the Old Testament. And somehow through the history, they had elevated the law over the relationship with God. They worshiped the law and they thought everything that you did determined where you went when you died. But yet these two Pharisees show up to help Jesus' body. But they weren't just Pharisees. They, they were even worse than that. They were both members of the Sanhedrin. John tells us they were members of the council. The council of the Sanhedrin, that's the very council that declared Jesus guilty of blasphemy. See, the Sanhedrin was 70 men. They were the 70 Jew, Jewish rulers over all of Jerusalem. They ruled politically. They ruled religiously. They ruled everything. They made all the decisions for the Jewish community. And both of these two men, Nicodemus... And Joseph of Arimathea were members of that council. They were there when Jesus was put on trial. They were there when, when Jesus was brought before Pilate. So what in the world happened? What changed for these two Pharisees, these two Sanhedrin members, these Jewish leaders, to come to a point that somewhere between Jesus' trial and his death, they changed. Well, all we know about Joseph of Arimathea is this is the first time we see him. We know he was from a place called Arimathea, but no one knows where that is. It's not on any biblical maps. It's called a town in Judea, but no one has ever seen it. No one ever knows where it is. So we don't know where he, he's really from. Uh, we know he was wealthy. Mark tells us that he was wealthy. Luke tells us that he was a right and justice man. He, he was always just in the way he treated other people, but he was very wealthy. He had a lot of recognition. They also tell us in, in Luke's version that at that council, when Jesus was declared guilty, he abstained from voting. He wouldn't vote. 
Now, he didn't vote against it. He didn't say, no, I think Jesus should go free. He just didn't vote because he didn't agree with what they were doing. But here in John's version, John says he's a secret follower of Jesus. And he was secret because he was afraid of what the Jews would say. Now, there's a lot of commentators that jump on that and say, oh, but he was, he was a secret follower. Not a secret anymore. He comes out of the shadows here. Matter of fact, before we think about him coming out of the shadows and, and being a secret follower, where were the not-so-secret followers when Jesus was on the cross? I mean, where were the leaders? Where, where was James and John? Weren't they going to rule with Jesus? Didn't their mama go say, Jesus, my two boys can do it all? They were running away. Where, where was Peter? Where was Peter, the guy with the sword, when they came to arrest Jesus, cutting off a soldier's ear, proud and, and, and ready to go? Where was he when Jesus' body was hanging on this cross? He was running and denying. Where was Thomas? It was Levi. They were gone. And yet it fell on this secret believer, this, this quiet Christian. This Christian that had questions, this Christian that, that was following Jesus but really hadn't come to a point of trusting Him all the way. But something happened that caused Him to step up and make a difference. He wasn't in the shadows any longer. You see, when He came before Pilate, He risked everything. The Bible doesn't really talk about all that they risked in doing this. matter of fact, a lot of times in the Easter story, this gets glossed over. We just think it was Joseph's tomb. God gave up his tomb. Guess what? He got it back. He got to use it. It was empty still. But he gave up a lot more than his tomb. Matter of fact, you have to understand, they were the high Jewish leaders. This was the week of Passover. That is the most important day in the Jewish system. It is a time when all the family comes together and they celebrate the Passover meal and they go and they sacrifice the lamb. But Numbers tells us back in the law that if you touch a dead body, if you touch something dead, you become unclean for at least a week so that you could not be a part of Passover. So you need to understand that when, when Joseph and Nicodemus went and they took Jesus' body, the moment they touched him, they became unclean. They became unavailable for Passover. They were giving up the best and the biggest holiday in their system. They gave up Passover, but that's not all they gave up. Matter of fact, we believe that when they stood before Pilate and identified themselves with the criminal Jesus, they lost their place on the council. They lost their jobs. They probably lost their prestige, and they lost their money. They lost everything that they had ever held dear up until that point. So the question is, why? What made these secret, quietly in the shadows? You know, they wouldn't be the ones that volunteered if we needed volunteers at church. They weren't the ones that were the quick to come down and leave. What made those guys step up at this crazy time? I think to really understand it, we have to go back and look at Joseph's friend, Nicodemus. Because you see, while Joseph, this is the first time we hear about him, it's not the first time we hear about Nick. Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees that met Jesus early in his ministry. You remember when Jesus is starting out, he's gotten popular and people are following him. 
People are wanting to know more about him. And he's healing people and miracles are happening. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders are kind of hearing about it. They're saying, what's up with this Jesus? What do we know about Jesus? Why are these people following Jesus? I saw this guy and his arm was healed. It was, it was crippled. And I saw another guy that was a leper. And all of a sudden his leprosy was gone. Something's going on with Jesus. And so they got together and they said, listen, we need somebody to go and ask him questions. And I don't know how he got chosen. He got the short straw, but Nicodemus was the one who went to visit Jesus. And John chapter 3 tells us about that visit. I want you to listen to this, because I think it tells us what happened at the cross. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night. Now that's important. He didn't want to be seen. He's in the shadows. What if somebody sees me going to Jesus? He comes to him at night, and he says this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. You, didn't, you see, he didn't say, I. He's speaking for the group. He says, we know that you are a teacher. We know you could perform miracles. And what you're doing has to be of God because if God were not with you, you couldn't do it. And then Jesus replied, he said this, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, you know what Jesus does right here? He does what Jesus always does. He answered a question before it was asked. Because see, the big question that Nicodemus had, the reason they sent him to talk to Jesus, the question that all the Jewish people have, the question we have today, how do we know that we know that we know that we can have a relationship with God? How do you know that you'll go to heaven when you die? How do you know that you're good enough? How do you know? What do you have to do? Uh, what, what has to be done to know that one day when I die, I will get to see God? But Nicodemus hadn't asked the question yet. I'm sure Nicodemus had figured back before he came, let me see how I can ask this without really... But before he could ever ask it, Jesus looks him in the eye. I love it. Can you imagine? What if someone answered your question? I mean, your mom does that all the time. But what if someone besides your mom answered your question before you ever asked it? Why don't you knock on your boss's door and you went in and had this long question to ask and when you walked in, they looked you in the eye and they answered it. Nicodemus had to be taken back. What did he say? What? 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 I didn't ask the question yet. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he be born again. And Nicodemus, that famous quote says this, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he can't enter his second time into the mother's womb to be born. See, Nicodemus is thinking flesh. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. For flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. See what... They're going back and forth. Nicodemus says, wait a minute, how can you be born again? I was born once. Jesus says, you're thinking flesh. You see, you're still thinking about what can you do. How can you get there? Jesus says, you've got to be born on the inside. Not flesh and blood, spirit. There has to be a renewed spirit inside of you. Nicodemus is confused. This is so different. See, what, how, what do they think got them to heaven? They thought their acts, the things that they did, if they were only good enough, and everybody's asking the question, how can we get to heaven? Will you obey the law and you do these certain things? Listen, people today are still asking the question. Some of you are asking the question this morning. 
I saw in an article this week, Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York, uh, he did an interview where he said, uh, because of all the good things he's done, his gun control and cutting out big glasses and saving obesity, all of that is going to get him a, a front row in the line to heaven. He, matter of fact, he said, when I get there, I'm not even going to have to wait in line because of all I've done. I thought, listen, if, if all that gets you to heaven is cutting down your big gulp size, then we're all in trouble. But it goes to the question, how do I get there? And Jesus says, you're not thinking right. It's not about what you do. And so Nicodemus didn't understand. He said, how can this be? So what are you talking about? How can that be the case? And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher. Jesus kind of mocks him here. He says, you're a teacher. You studied the law and you don't understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and what we usually do, what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept the testimony I have spoken to you on earth, of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Then he says this, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now this is when Nicodemus gets uncomfortable. Because all of a sudden Jesus is claiming something that is different. Jesus says there's no one on this earth that will ever go to heaven except the one who has come down from heaven. He said, and that's me. Nicodemus gets uncomfortable and Jesus says this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. Now, Moses, he said, I I remember that story. All Jewish children remember that story when, when Moses had taken the children of Israel out of the Egypt and they were going to the promised land. They were camped in the wilderness and they camped at a place where there was a bunch of snakes. And while they were in that place where there was a bunch of snakes, people were getting bit at night. The snakes would come out. I'm talking bunches of snakes, you know, because we're talking a million people. And so snakes were biting people and people were dying. And God came to Moses and said, Moses, here's what I want you to do. Take one of those snakes that is dead, stick it on a staff, and raise it up high above on a mountaintop. And everyone that's been bitten, everyone that's sick, everyone that's hurt, when you raise it, when they look to that snake being lifted up, they will be healed. So Jesus is taking something that he's heard, and he says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him, not everyone who behaves, see, he's big on behavior, he said everyone that believes in him may have eternal life. This blows Nicodemus away. How can the Son of Man be lifted up so that he would heal those around him? And Nicodemus, it doesn't say what his response was, but I'm sure he left. And can you imagine him telling the other uh, Pharisees and the other uh, Sanhedrin what was talked about? I can see him and Joseph sitting there and saying, listen, he's, he said that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up and no one can have eternal life unless they believe. You know, it's not about the laws, what he's saying. It's about believing in the Son of Man. He claims to be the Son of Man. And Jesus continues teaching. We don't hear anything about him again. Until John chapter 7, the Pharisees are still following. The Pharisees, are they're worried now. They've heard some of his teaching. John chapter 7, they're, they're, they decide to bring Jesus in. Verse 45, listen. It says, finally the temple guards went back to the priests and the Pharisees who asked, why didn't you bring Jesus in? The temple guard says this, no one who spoke ever spoke the way this man does. The temple guard was being saved. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees reported? Has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, for there is a curse on them. 
Then they look at Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and had listened to him, asked, does our law condemn someone without first hearing them, hearing what they have to say? See, he says, listen, before we start judging him, maybe we need to listen to him. See, do you see what's going on? Nicodemus somewhere in that discussion. The Holy Spirit starts speaking to Nicodemus. And here he is a year later. And they're saying, we need to condemn him. And Nicodemus steps up and says, shouldn't we at least hear him out? They turn on Nicodemus and they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet never comes out of Galilee. You see, the predictions in the Old Testament have prophesied that the Messiah came out of Bethlehem, not Galilee. They didn't know where he was born. He was born in Bethlehem. He lived in Galilee. That's the last we see of Nicodemus. We don't know discussions that maybe he had with, with Joseph or the things that they had talked about. We don't know all the, the things that went on. But we do know that the night that Jesus was arrested, they paid people to lie about him and they brought him before the council. Joseph and Nicodemus were there. We know that when they condemned him and they began to beat him, they were there. They were silent. They were in the shadows. We know that when they took that whip and they began to scourge Jesus' back, when they took that crown of thorns and placed it on his head, they were there. They were around. They were silent. They were in the shadows. We know that when they took him before Pilate and, and, and had a trial before Pilate and the crowd shouted, Give us Barabbas! They were there. The council was there. We know that as they took that cross and Jesus began to go on that way, carrying that heavy cross up the hill to Golgotha, they were there. They were silent. We believe that they were there in the back of the crowds. As they began to hear those nails being driven into his hands. As they began to hear the anguished cries of his family, his loved ones. They were there. Standing in the back, Nicodemus and Joseph standing behind the crowd slowly began to see that cross come up off the ground. And over people's heads and shoulders, there, there was his head, that crown on it. And there was his arms. And there was his body. And somewhere in that instant, Nicodemus heard these words just like Moses lifted his staff in the wilderness. So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that anyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. And I believe in that instant as they saw the Son of Man lifted up, Nicodemus began to look over at Joseph and say, this is what he was talking about. He knew it all along. This was what was planned. It's what he was talking about two years ago. He's lifted up. And I believe those Jewish men that had studied the Bible all their lives, as they had prepared for the coming Messiah, they could remember as Jesus is standing there bleeding, lifted up, they remembered the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. I believe as they watched the Son of God die and bleed they could hear the words coming back into their hearts they could hear but he was pierced for our transgressions his 
body was pierced. They could hear the words of Isaiah in their ears saying he was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment of our sins was cast upon him. We, like sheep, have all gone astray and gone our own way. And the Lord will take the sins, the iniquities of all of us and lay it on Him. And I believe they stood in awe as they began to realize that He is who He says He is. Resurrection hadn't happened. It was the cross. That He is the Son of God. That He does bring hope. That He does bring healing. That He is God's Messiah for mankind. And I believe it totally changed them. They couldn't be silent anymore. They couldn't remain in the shadows. It didn't matter if it cost them Passover. It didn't matter if it cost them their jobs or the council. Here He was. And it drove them to act. It drove them when everyone else was fleeing and running to go and find and secure the body of Jesus because though he may have died like a thief, they were going to bury him like a king because that's who he was. You see, they realized their courage, their faith is what set the stage for the biggest event in human history. Because they believed and that Sunday morning as the women went to prepare the body for burial, which is kind of funny if you think about it, the men had already done that, so the women must have thought the men dropped the ball. Because they were coming behind him. Not that women would do that. They were coming behind him. Going to go and fix him up. Because of Joseph and Nicodemus, they knew where to go. They knew that there was a place that his body was supposed to be. Because these two Pharisee religious men got it. The stage was set. Jesus ended his teaching to Nicodemus those two years before with these words. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. See, what happened on that Passover weekend, that first Easter, it answered all of Nicodemus and Joseph's questions. What took place there at the cross, let them know how they could know. How can I be sure? How can I know God will receive me? And at some point, they transferred their trust from their works to His works. At some place, they said, I can't trust in myself. It was no longer about what they could bring to the table, but it was about what Jesus had taken to the cross. Their questions were answered. Their lives were changed. They came out of the shadows. I want you to listen to me this morning. Their questions were answered. Are yours? Maybe some of you this morning, as I was speaking, something inside of you began to recognize that it's true. It's more than just ritual. It's more than just songs. It's more than just religion. It's just more than just dressing up on Sunday. It's true. He is who He says He is. It's not old tales. He is the Son of God. He does bring forgiveness. He does bring life. Maybe inside of you, you, you heard that voice and you, you said, I want to believe. That's what I want. Well, listen to me right where you are. All you've got to do is ask. 
Say, Jesus, come in. I want you to save me. And he will. Maybe some of you this morning, you've been in the shadows. You've been a Christian a long time, but no one knows. It's easier just to hide. It's easier just to pretend. The empty tomb is calling you out. Maybe it's time this morning you recommit yourself. Maybe it's time this morning, this Easter Sunday, that you ask God to be in charge. For most of us this morning, Easter comes and Easter goes. We sing, we get excited, and on Monday our lives look no different. How will you live differently tomorrow because the tomb was empty at Easter? You see, that tells where your faith is. This morning, will you trust Him? Let's pray. Father, You do Your work. You speak to hearts this morning. Challenge us, change us. Father, I believe there's some here this morning that had no idea when they came here that they would hear Your voice in their heart. They had no idea that that they were so empty, no idea that they were searching for things of life among the dead. This morning, You offer peace. You offer hope. You offer forgiveness. God, don't let them leave this place without hearing Your voice. Father, speak to us. Challenge us. Change us in Your name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing. The altars are open. If you want to pray, I'll be here to pray with you. You can pray right where you are. Maybe you need to commit yourself. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you prayed that prayer earlier and you, you want to make a stand. Come out of the shadows. Whatever God is compelling you to do, you do it while we sing. This is your time to respond to the empty tomb. He is who He says He is. And He is alive. Jesus paid it all. It's done. It's finished. What is left but our response? Would you stand and worship with us? could use two religious secret shadow people to set the stage for the greatest event imagine what he could do with you imagine what he wants to do with you would ever trust him if you'd ever just step out of the shadows 
say, I'm in. That's what Easter's calling us to. This morning, this week, you shout it with your life. You shout it with your heart. Shout it with your voice. Jesus Christ is risen. You still don't have it. Jesus Christ, my Savior. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of Man. God in flesh that redeemed me, saved me from my sins, changed my life. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. God bless you. You have a wonderful, wonderful Easter.